So let's say I go from dog food, I now want to introduce a line of dog chews, right? You, you tend to have a churn point, right? So by modeling the churn points, uh, you understand that actually this is a churn point coming up for this particular individual. You can introduce something, you know, which we call surprise and delight, which is a little surprise, you know, a little surprise for the owner. Uh, when the next dog food delivery arrives, in fact, there's a dog chew in there. Dog loves it. You know, dog loves it. You're happy, you know, rawr, 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 chewing away. <laughs> yeah. owner's, owner's happy too. You know, everybody's happy. Everybody wins. I've prevented churn and um, the dog's happy. The owner's happy. I've now upsold them as well, introduced a new product. Now I've got sales data. Take it back into my my other channel. So you see how these things sort of, you know, all work together. It's um, It's fascinating. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the future, the future, the future of customer engagement and experience podcast. Thanks for joining me this episode. As always, we're brought to you in partnership with thefutureofcommerce.com. You can head over there to find thought leadership and analysis on all of the commerce topics that may be affecting you as a business leader. One of the things that ties nicely in today's episode you can find is a great article on 2020 retail trends, the future of shopping comes to life. Head over and check that out at thefutureofcommerce.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, wherever you're listening, be sure to do so as well so you can get every new episode straight into your feed as soon as it comes out on a bi-weekly basis. So today we get to explore the exciting frontier lying ahead of deodorant, chainsaws, and yogurt. Your first thought is probably, that sounds like a normal morning for me. In that case, props to you. Thanks for joining us in the Pacific Northwest. But seriously, what exciting frontier lies ahead of deodorant, chainsaws, and yogurt? The direct-to-consumer frontier. Companies that provide goods that you would traditionally find in a store are realizing the opportunity to grow their market share and their revenue by going straight to the people who buy their products. To help me decipher the world of direct-to-consumer, it's Charles Nichols. Yeah, so hi. Um, thanks. Um, I'm Charles Nichols, and uh, I'm a senior vice president uh, here at uh, SAP. And uh, I came to SAP really through acquisition. Um, I founded a company called uh, CY, which is a real-time machine learning uh, technology and, and company, and uh, we've incorporated a lot of that technology into many of our latest solutions. Uh, we now call that Stream AI. Uh, it's a concept of real-time streaming intelligence. So building a lot of intelligence into uh, into software is kind of one of the things that I like doing. Um, even, you know, go back and hold a patent in machine learning, which is a bit, makes, me, makes me sound scary, like I know what I'm talking about, but the reality is I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I immediately thought, oh, man, well, his, his credentials just trump me by about 20 levels by having the patent. That's <laughs> like a mad scientist or something like that. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not the mad scientist. I, I really, I love the, um, the application of, uh, of machine learning really to solving business problems. It's, you can, in simple terms, you can think about it as, as optimization. Huh. And, uh, you know, so many of these processes we can optimize. We, uh, I've seen this in multiple different environments where you have rules, you know, a fixed kind of if then else logic. And, um, you can apply data to that and, uh, learning systems and you can beat the beat the existing system by an order of magnitude i've seen sort of up to uh, up to 9x kind of improvement in performance which is just really off the charts and it's it's because you take something which is very rigid um and uh, and you apply something which is much more dynamic and optimizing lots and lots and lots of little transactions all the time and as a result it all adds up to a very big number um if you take e-commerce systems today 
um, you look at these things and, and they're dominated by rules. They're dominated by merchandising rules and shipping rules and all these sorts of things. And there's huge opportunity to turn that into something so much more efficient. And, and that's really what I get excited about. I get excited about the lift, you know. I want to measure the lift that you get as a result of being able to do these things. So rather than, I'm not so, so much in the, uh, uh, the bits and bytes, um, you know, down in the weeds. Uh, mm. It's really how we can apply it and make life better and deliver a more personalized, more relevant experience for individuals uh, and at the same time drive more profit for the merchant. That's fundamentally what it's all about. So I'm, I'm curious what the last thing you bought was and did you realize if you were being optimized through some sort of system when you bought it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. What did I last buy? So, uh, so I was cooking last night. I love cooking. And, mm. um, uh, I realized that uh, I'm out of, uh, out of deodorant or very nearly out of deodorant. <laughs> and, um, so I thought, okay, right. Well, finally, you know, I've got to give this voice commerce thing a go. So, Hey Alexa, you know, can you buy me, buy de- deodorant, right? Mm. And I have to, it was convenient because obviously I was cooking, you know, all the rest of it, uh, you know, and I just wanted to get it done then and there. And the reality of the experience was pretty horrible. <laughs> um, you know, I'm having this dialogue, no, Alexa, that's not what I meant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, lo and behold, after three or four attempts, finally she figured out that I was saying deodorant. Obviously, I pronounce it wrong. I've got an accent, he thinks, or something. I don't know. And, um, uh, and that that's what I want. And then she looks at my transaction history and finds that, you know, I have this particular deodorant. And so oh, I can buy it for you, which is brilliant. And so she does. Uh, and then I have to confirm it, and et cetera. So it's it's not it's not simple, easy, and intuitive. <laughs> I mean, it's what we see in the data, which is that smart speakers are really used for playing music. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> not really for not really for shopping uh, yet, but but obviously it's a it's an interesting channel to kind of explore. So perhaps an atypical kind of shopping journey. So essentially, you know, you were talking about making that purchase of the deodorant, which is one of many things that kind of fall into that consumer products area. What's driving companies to sell direct to consumers now that traditionally as a consumer product like that didn't do it? Yeah, I mean, it, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and there are a combination of things, really. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are the new pure play um, direct consumer companies coming out, which have kind of really shown uh, how this can be done, and they've they've demonstrated by taking one particular, you know, one particular model and doing it really well. You can deliver perhaps a, you know, maybe a, an as good product, maybe even a better product at at at, uh, at the same or less price, mm-hmm. um, with a fantastic customer journey, seamless, easy, uh, you know, personalized kind of experience, which makes which is very attractive. So I think that. Um, you know, this is a this is an intriguing area for all consumer packaged goods companies, really, because you know traditional um, uh, markets in terms of selling through through retail, uh, you know, sort of multi-tier distribution kind of channel um, is in many markets is flat, or in many segments is flat in terms of growth. Um, you know, maybe there's still lots of growth in Asia Pacific, but in terms of more mature markets, there's not a lot of growth coming there, and yet the Direct consumer space is is growing really fast, growing at sort of like you know, thirty five percent a year, hitting sixty billion, um, wow. you know, uh, you know, which is a really big number. You know, now eleven percent share of the total um, CPG market. So, so this is this is getting attention, um, you know, for a couple of different reasons. It also represents the opportunity for 
many of these companies to kind of experiment with new business models. So many of these initiatives fall under what you might call digital transformation, which is a bit of a catch-all phrase, but in particular looking at, you know, can we, uh, can we increase share of wallet? Uh, can we make sure that we have continuity of supply? Um, you know, can we have a direct relationship with a customer where, uh, you know, we understand much more about what she needs that allows us to um, introduce new products more easily because now we have com consumers, we can basically do a digital first launch of products, uh, which gives us the sales numbers. We then need to then go into retail, you know, the big channel effectively still, uh, and um, negotiate shelf space based on the, on the back of numbers rather than having to basically buy the shelf space. So there are many different dimensions um, as to why, uh, as to why people are going down this route, but, but it's growing fast. It represents um, a big opportunity um, and an opportunity to change, find new forms and types of revenues, including, you know, continuity subscription kind of revenues where you're turning, you know, your deodorant purchase instead of into a, a, a one-off purchase, but actually into, into something where I buy deodorant as a, uh, as a subscription simply because it's easier and more convenient for me. As these companies start to decide, all right, we're going to take advantage of this market of the direct to consumer, what are the key factors that they need to go ahead and address if they're going to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of factors. I mean, of course, if you, if you have a two-tier distribution channel and, you know, you have a big business, then uh, you probably are very nervous about um, doing a direct to consumer play mm -hmm. um, in that market. So what we tend to see is uh, adjacent markets um, or smaller markets. Um, so, for example, if you're in, let's say you're you know, selling your product in, in Italy and your market share in Italy is very low, um, you know, you're really not doing very well there compared with other markets, then that's probably a great market to experiment with, with direct-to-consumer in simply because uh, you, you can do that more easily. Mm. Um, the, second, the second thing to think about is um, also, uh, you know, which kind of products make sense. Uh, replenishment products are are perhaps the most interesting um, because you can sign customers on a subscription or a continuity commerce kind of program um, and the profitability there is significantly higher. Uh, you can see 30 to 40 percent increase in product line profitability uh, based upon that kind of on based upon customers signing onto a, a continuity program which is where you know you have them on auto ship and you know I can uh, get get it every uh, every month or every two weeks or whatever interval that that works for me. So, you know, those kind of transformation initiatives really around different business models kind of get very interesting. And you should also think about the fact that you can sell those um, continuity subscriptions um, through retail as well. Uh, we shouldn't think of these as mutually exclusive. You know, direct to consumer is is one channel, and it's uh, you know it's fighting with uh, <laughs> with the traditional retail channels and their their competitors, and therefore you know this is all a problem. Not not so. I think we see a trend at the moment of of um, brands wanting to put you know digital merchandising terminals uh, you know on islands in store where they can be selling the full range of product rather than just those that um, those that the retailer happens to have there and then maybe even selling a subscription. Um, and as a result of that, you know, uh, also then the brand is doing a revenue share back into the store. So the store gets credit for it. The store then begins to get, be, begins to see, you know, a revenue, a recurring revenue stream themselves, which is incredibly attractive. You know, recurring revenue streams are, you know, a very different set of economics um, and, uh, and look really good. Mm -hmm. You know, when you replenish the product, you don't have to replenish the full retail item in the expensive glossy packaging 
you can send the product through you know in um, compostable packaging or something which is much more eco uh, and also much more profitable because it's you know lower cost packaging uh, you know sent through directly to consumer consumer can compost it or can recycle it by taking it into store which drives them into store which is another huge plus as well driving footfall um, or uh, or you can have return logistics you know where effectively you you send it back in the same package in a free post envelope something like that you send back the empty so all of those sorts of things are, are tapping into the the green consumer sentiment which is obviously very important at the moment mm-hmm. so some of those things are are really really important to think about you know where and how and uh you know which part of the business should we focus on perhaps the next big area is is really more cultural and you know how how organizations need to sort of shift from thinking about shipping by the pallet to uh, shipping the individual item and uh, often that is something that's uh, that's underestimated by um uh, by consumer packaged goods companies you know you mentioned a couple of the examples of the marrying the direct consumer with the retailer. And so what are some examples that you've seen of companies making this happen in different fashions? Well, you could, I mean, for example, uh, you can have a sunglasses um, company that sells through, you know, the big sunglasses hut or whatever. Um, and, you know, they may have uh, two or 300 SKUs um, and in store, they may have only 20 SKUs um, on display in sunglasses hut. So when you go in as a consumer and say, hey, my friend's got a pair of, um, you know, these uh, you know, carbon fiber framed glasses, they're fantastic, they're really light, you know, they may not have them in stock. What happens, you know, do you, does, the, does the retailer lose the sale? Does the brand, you know, lose the sale? Or, you know, what, what happens under those circumstances? So it's not good for the retailer, it's not good for the brand. You know, the, uh, the retailer wants to get the sale, um, you know, the brand wants to get the sale and, you know, the retailer, if they try and cross sell the customer, then I say, well, no, I really want, I like this brand, you know, I want to try, I want to get these, these ones that my friend had. So, so that kind of, um, an endless aisle terminal, uh, in store or a digital merchandising terminal makes a ton of sense for, for both parties. And then you can have a, a ship to store, which brings the customer back into the store, or you can have ship direct to consumer and, and the retailer gets paid. So everybody wins. And I, I think that's really the way that we have to think about, you know, direct consumer as being, you know, working in conjunction with other channels. It's not a, uh, it's not a unique uh, thing in its own right as separate. For example, if you're selling through, um, through marketplaces, let's say you're selling through Amazon um, in exactly the same way as, as many big brands do now, uh, experimenting with that channel, then, uh, you know, if you have a connected product, let's say you're selling a, a toothbrush these days, a toothbrush, high-end toothbrush comes with an app, which tells you how well you're brushing your teeth. And you, you may, oh, you missed a bit at the back, you know, et cetera, right? but, but by the same token, you know, if you're selling a toothbrush, why not sell toothpaste? Why not sell replacement heads? You know, the replacement heads thing is just convenient for the consumer to have, oh yeah, just send me a new one every three months because I keep forgetting and I can never remember the model number and where, you know, it, it, it's just it's just hassle. So there's big opportunities there. So that's a product which is then sold through a marketplace, which normally disintermediates you from the individual consumer. But then because you've got the app there, then it allows you to then uh, have a direct consumer relationship, you know, where you've then, you're then selling the replenishment items on top. So this is how these things can work, you know, symbiotically, in a way that everybody wins. As you talk through this, I, I picture it as in the grand scheme, really, it's the brand getting the opportunity to become closer with the consumer 
they haven't traditionally interacted with the actual purchaser. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you imagine, um, you're a pet food company, um, you know, and, and you sell pet food on, so dog food on subscription, right? Mm. Rather than carrying these great big sacks of dog, dried dog food home, you know, in the car and hauling them, you know, why not have them dropped in the, dropped in the porch or in the garage automatically, you know, at the right intervals because my dogs have got to eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so, so there's a, there's a business there that makes sense anyway in its own right, simply because of continuity. Now, you know, I have share of wallet, there's com- extra convenience for the customer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All those things are, are really positive. But when it comes to introducing a new product, then because you have that direct consumer relationship, you now have a completely different way of doing that. So let's say I go from, um, uh, dog food, I now want to introduce a line of dog chews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way to do that is clearly you've now got a, a consumer panel effectively that can, that can test this out. Um, not, you know, obviously their dogs can test it out, not the, not the consumer <laughs> themselves. Well, you know, um, they're healthy, right? <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so, you know, when, you know, if you look at these um, continuity programs, then one of the challenges is you tend to have a churn point, right? Mm-hmm. So by modeling the churn points, that's where the machine learning comes in. Uh, you understand that actually this is a churn point coming up for this particular individual. You can introduce something, you know, which we call surprise and delight, which is a little surprise, you know, a little surprise for the owner. Uh, when the next dog food delivery arrives, in fact, there's a dog chew in there. And, uh, and the customer's like, oh, wow, that's brilliant, right? Give it to the dog. Dog loves it. You know, dog loves it. You know, happy, you know, rawr, 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 chewing away. <laughs> owner's, owner's happy too. You know, everybody's happy. Everybody wins. And, uh, and then actually the chances are that the, the, the next time the owner, or, you know, thinks, oh, well, actually I'll put one of those, put one of those chews on. I'll change my order and, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll include that as well because, you know, the dog loved it, right? So now I've introduced the product. Now I've, 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 um, I've prevented churn and um, the dog's happy. The owner's happy. I've now upsold them as well, introduced a new product. Now I've got sales data. Take it back into my, my other channels. So you see how these things sort of, you know, all work together. It's, um, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It, it hit too close to home when he mentioned the, the pet food stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm that guy that carries the sack out every <laughs> once, once a month. But uh, the, the brand that I buy because I go through the retailer, they know that they got a sale, but they don't know me. So they ha- would have no opportunity to, you know, supply me with that chew and all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you, you know, if you live out in the boondocks or you, you have particular tastes or you like particular products that you can't necessarily always get from a consumer point of view, these kind of programs are really, really good. You know, that deodorant, <laughs> going back to my deodorant <laughs> problem, right? Um, that deodorant is, you know, is one that I can't always, I can't always get that easily. It's sort of, you know, there's no perfume or whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, customers are very, very loyal to products which touch their skin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything, anything which is sort of, you know, the sort of shampoo or, or makeup or, you know, sanitary products or deodorant or toothpaste or all of these people are incredibly brand loyal, you know, they won't switch. So, so putting those things on continuity is, is a great opportunity. Equally, the opportunity to then upsell to sell the whole bathroom shelf, but the whole bathroom shelf of continuity is a, is a really big opportunity for, um, uh, for a CP company. Yeah. What would you say would be the best first step, couple steps for a company that's looking to go ahead and take advantage of this? So I think, um, you know, experimenting with, uh, with adjacent markets or, um, so for example, um, quite a lot of um, consumer companies 
if they're selling through you know big retail, happy with big retail, but maybe they're selling through distribution to you know mom and pop stores or uh, you know, Airbnbs or something like that, where where the distribution channel isn't working that well for them uh, for one reason or another, you know, and th those kind of initiatives can actually work really well. So that's a great place to th then start. Mm -hmm. um, second thing I would say, or, or it could be a new product, a new product launch or a new kit or something which is different from the way that you're selling traditionally through your traditional channels, or you want to try subscription commerce for the first time or, you know, with a, with a kit offering. A lot of these sorts of things are, you know, they start experimental and, uh, you know, you have to be ready to, to, uh, to fail, of course, you know, because mm -hmm. like all new things that, you know, um, you, you, you get a few home runs, but not all of them are home runs. And therefore the whole fail fast, or I like to think of succeed fast, is much more positive. Mm -hmm. Let's plan to fail fast. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a great idea, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, so let's succeed fast. Let's certainly have that, you know, try it, evolve it. Does it work? You know, let's, let's move on. Let's try a pivot. Let's evolve these sorts of things. Exactly what startups do to find the, what I call the magic formula. Finding that magic formula is hard, right? Mm -hmm. It's why these companies sell for so much money because, it's actually hard to determine the magic formula because you've gone through so many learning journeys and iterations to sort of you know, figure it out. But when you do, then you can, you can build a really big business fast. So you really have to start small. And many of these kind of initiatives are not, you know, massive, great, big things. They actually start as, uh, you know, with a relatively small initiative. It's like a startup almost within a, within a big company. Mm. And uh, and there are cultural things that you need to do to then create and foster the right environment so that the antibodies don't kill the new thing. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, it's new, brilliant, kill! <laughs> there's, all, there's all those sort of corporate instincts that happen. Uh -huh. um, but also from a from a technology point of view and looking at you know how you then start doing you know commerce platforms and those sorts of things, uh, you need something which is you know small and agile and nimble which can uh, get up and running quite quickly and you know doesn't cost an arm and leg to get started. Thanks for joining me and helping out, Charles. Keep your eye on the knife next time and away from the Alexa. That does it for today's episode. If you'd like more information or have any questions about anything we've discussed, you can always email me at s.spears at sap.com or check out all the information we have to offer at thefutureofcommerce.com. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the Future of Customer Engagement and Experience podcast. Thanks for listening.